Welcome to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. If some days you doubt yourself and you don't know what you're doing, if you've ugly cried alone in your bedroom because you felt like you're failing, well, I just want you to know you're not alone and you have come to the right place. Raising tweens and teens in today's world is not easy, and I'm on a mission to equip you to love well and to raise emotionally healthy, happy tweens and teens that thrive. I believe that moms are heroes, and we have the power to transform our family and to impact future generations. If you are looking for answers, encouragement, and to become more of the mom and the woman that you want to be, welcome. I'm Cheryl Gould, and I am so glad that you're here. Hi, friend, and welcome to the show today. I'm so happy that you're here. And today we're talking all about puberty. Oh my gosh, talk about an awkward conversation and one that is difficult to know how to navigate. Like, what do you say? How do you even get your tween or teen to want to talk to you about all these changes that are happening in their bodies and their brains? And I have a very special person that is um, here today, and that is the wonderful Michelle Mitchell. And she's an expert with teenagers and supporting parents. And I love her because she has practical and insightful wisdom and the most wonderful way of sharing this information with us and our kids. Michelle's an author of two new books, A Girl's Guide to Puberty and A Guy's Guide to Puberty. And in this episode, you're going to learn what's normal when puberty hits. That's a huge part. Like there's so much that when I was raising my tweens and teens, like I didn't know, is this normal? And how you can support your kids in positive ways through these changes. And also we talk about what to say and not to say when it comes to having the important puberty conversations. And then what do you do if your kid says, I don't want to talk to you about this and you and all about just all the changes they're experiencing. And then we also talk about how do you cultivate this open, safe, and warm place that your kids will want to talk to you, even when it's awkward. And we talk about so many good things. So let's jump in. Michelle, welcome back. And thank you for coming on so late, your time. You're in Australia. I want our listeners to know that because I think it's so cool that we can connect here and it's 10 almost 10 p.m your time 7 a.m my time here in Chicago and so thank you so much my pleasure every time we connect I feel like I, I have a kindred spirit in the world and it just takes me like less than 10 seconds to feel loved again so it's just so beautiful and thank you for having me as part of your community look what I've just had a whole cup of coffee because it is 10 o'clock at night here. <laughs> so I'm revved up for you. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, good. I hope you'll be able to go to sleep. I'm going to go. I have my exercise pants on so I could go exercise after this. So funny. But you are one of my favorite people because you have such practical and insightful 
advice. And also you're so warm, your message. And so, yeah, I'm so excited to talk about this. Uh, your two new books, you have a book, A Girl's Guide to Puberty and A Guy's Guide to Puberty. And I have to hold it up. It's fabulous. I have the girls, but we're going to talk about a little bit, touch on boys too. But I love this book. And I want to start by you talking about what led you to write these two books. They were kind of the books I felt like I had to write. Um, I have worked with teenagers for like forever and ever, even though I did start my career as a primary school teacher. But I saw that transition from primary school to high school be such a rough ride for a lot of kids. And I knew if I could get in and give them some really practical information about their body and just be very empowering and build their confidence in this field as they went through that transition, it would make such a difference. And we know that research says that early often education in this area actually helps them make wiser choices and adapt better as they go through that transition. I'm all about helping parents and kids connect. And I feel like if we can build this platform of trust before our kids start having those really big brain and body changes, it's gonna make a really big difference. So I didn't wanna just produce a fun book for kids about puberty. It's it's also about brain changes and it's really about them embracing themselves. So it's, it's sort of a bigger picture book and growing up's meant to be fun, Cheryl. So I made sure there was lots of comics and, and lots of jokes and my best stories are in there and I want it to be fun for kids. And I think that's such an important thing these days. It is so um warm and it is fun and it's playful and um you just normalize so much of it and make it so not awkward like I remember talking to my daughters I have two daughters one son and I even recently my youngest is 21 I said breasts and she was like don't use that word teach um in, in schools so I, I do a lot of this puberty education in schools and I tell them beforehand I say I do like this awkward part alert if I'm going to say anything awkward I'm going to give them warning beforehand um so they can prepare for it and so they're not sitting there the whole presentation going what's going to come on the screens next and I tell them I'm very good at my job so they can just all relax because I'll take good care of them but it is so much different when we're the parent isn't it and we've got these two little beady eyes just looking at us and we've got to come up with the goods and make it you know relatable and easy and fun and it's a tall order yeah and you have you have uh different characters in the book like i laughed out loud like the menstrual sisters miss pituitary the boys mr testosterone and yeah. you made it so easy to understand which i didn't even know that one breast is what 20% bigger than the other one? I was like, Usually. oh, that's what's wrong. I thought something was wrong with me. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's yeah. just so good. And you care, you cover every topic. I mean, shaving your legs and um, just, yeah, I just love it. And big um, emotion days, Cheryl. So many of our kids have these big emotion days. And that's um, when I did some research for the book and also for, for an upcoming book that I'm writing. You know, so many of the young girls actually looked at their older sisters and they said, 
do it if does, does it mean that I have to get emotional like my sister when I go through puberty because if I have to get that emotional I don't want it you know like <laughs> can we just skip the puberty bit because that looks like hard work and I think our kids can often look at older brothers and sisters and, and feel quite nervous about growing up because they you know they can see what a struggle it is Yes. Well, and I, let's, let's jump off that, um, that point that you're making, because I think that parents that are listening and care and carers, do you say carers in Australia? Yes. And yes, care, we yeah, we say caregivers. We're blindsided when they hit the tween years with the mood swings. And there's so much going on that you explain to kids in the book of what's happening in their body so they can understand themselves. But that's a piece that I find working with parents or caregivers that we don't fully understand. And you speak a lot to that. So what is happening? Like we're going to see a lot of mood swings. Can you normalize this and, and yeah. tell our listeners a little bit about the changes okay. they're going to see? Yeah. So these hormones are not new for their body, but they start to get released in adult doses. So we know how little our kids are and they're getting these adult doses of the hormones all of a sudden. And it's very jarring for the brain and their brain's going through changes as well. So that limbic system's really turbocharged and, and their whole world can feel like it's in a spin. And that's why a little bit of an education can make a lot of difference. I think for parents, they really need to be clear on the why. Like, why do I need to step into these topics with my kids? What on earth would motivate me to say the word breasts to my kids? You know, like, why do I need to do that? And I think for every family, the why is slightly different. But I think a lot of families can really relate to that feeling of feeling a bit out of control as a teenager um, and not understanding what's going on. And if we dig into that as our why, to bring safety around our kids' lives, it can be a bit anchoring and motivate us to have some of these tough conversations. Yes, if we can understand what is happening, that they're gonna be more emotional. They're, they're not always going to, they're not gonna, you talk about organization in the book, like you might struggle with that. And these are some of the things that you're gonna find, uh, you're gonna have a lot more emotions. And if we can understand that a lot of that behavior is normal, we're going to be able to be that safer place for our kids to open up and talk to us. So uh, what are some of the things that we can do in order to be that safe place for our kids when we're having these conversations? Yeah. Okay. So High quality conversations have three things. They have safety, they have joy, and they have choice, a part of them. And so when I talk to parents about these initial conversations that are different than the everyday conversations, there's normally a kickstart conversation. Even if we've done a great job of talking to our kids about body parts and body safety as they've gotten older, there's normally a kick cut start conversation that's got a little bit more intensity to it. And that conversation has got to have safety around it. It's got to feel joyful. So we, we've got to bring a bit of pizzazz to it and um, it, it's got to have choice. And if we can bring those elements into it, it can help it be a bit easier for our kids. So safety might look like, you know, I want to have a grown up conversation with you. Um, it's probably going to last about 20 to 30 minutes. So they know when we're going to shut up, Cheryl. Like, okay. like 
Like we've got to give them the safety of knowing that it's packaged and beginning and end. Otherwise, they might think that we're going to go on forever. And I find in those instances, kids often opt out themselves. Um, so that can bring safety, giving them choice around where the conversation happens and making sure we come to it with some kind of sense of smile and some fun and a plan. I've even seen the most amazing CEOs of companies who speak for a living get in front of their child and just lose their way with this topic. So coming mm-hmm. with that kind of joyful, playful plan with it and being prepared with a resource Um or, 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 you know, like a beginning, middle, middle and end kind of strategy can really help parents. Yes. No, that's that's so good. Um, and what don't we say? What do we often, because they're, they're private at this age. Oh, I know what I wanted to say to you. There's <laughs> one thing that you say that I thought was very interesting and we need to remember is they do want to have these conversations. And I think they act like they don't. Yeah, and so speak right. to that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think too often times our kids feel like if they step into this grown-up space and start asking, you know, the grown-up questions like, you know, can I shave my legs, mum, or, you know, I've heard about periods. It's almost like they're letting go of a piece of their childhood, Cheryl, and mm-hmm. they don't want us to see them any differently. They always want us to, us to see them as their little, little girl. And so the moment they make that transition to asking grown-up questions and wanting to talk about grown-up things, I feel like there's this little bit of loss and grief that goes on with them. And I think they get quite scared that their parents won't do the journey with them, you know, that that love won't transfer all the way through. And I've spoken to mums whose girls have hidden when they've shaved their legs. And I say to mums, could it be possible? Not that she didn't want you as part of this journey because mums just, it hits their heart. Why would she do that without talking to me? You know, you know, this was an experience I wanted to have with her. But I say, look, could it be possible that she's just scared of being the grown-up girl in her relationship with you and she realizes that at that moment she feels like she's letting go of something um i've had kids come up to me after i've spoken and said michelle i i've got this question but i can't ask my mom and i say sweetie why why do you feel like you can't ask your mom she goes well she mm-hmm. might think i'm rude And these are kids that I know, you know, like you can have that sense. They come from this incredibly beautiful, loving, connected home, but they don't want to be seen as maybe being rude, changing, different, and they put all those labels around that and they're scared. So I feel like it should never be our kids that have to initiate this. I feel like it's it's something that we really need to be on the front foot of ushering them in to that sense of becoming um, more grown up and and leading them into adolescence and saying my love is for you and will grow with you yeah yeah I love that Um, you interviewed for this book or surveyed over 500 kids yeah and was there was there anything that surprised you about what they said yeah, the one thing was this, and it kind of broke my heart a bit. Um, a lot of our kids, like the vast majority, I think it was from memory, Cheryl, it was around about 70% of our kids see their mum as the go-to person when they want to talk about something serious. 
And it was about 6.8 recognized their dad in that role. And that was really sad to me. I've had a very engaged dad who knew how to step into these spaces, but also knew how to bring an incredible respect to them too. So really listened and looked for my cues of where I needed and wanted him in my life as a female growing up. And I just felt sad that there was a lot of girls that didn't have that connection with their dad and their dad didn't know how to usher into that space in a way that worked. Yeah, I don't think men have a uh, a lot of support around knowing how to, or information or it's talked about. How do you talk to your daughter yeah, about I these agree. things? Like we do as as women, you know, there's so much more for us. And what would you say to the mom that is feeling frustrated, maybe that sh- that her husband isn't talking to the son? or to the daughter about these things. And then it seemed like, cause I remember with my oldest feeling like I was kind of trying to force it or control it with my husband, which wasn't very helpful. I did it differently, thankfully with my youngest, but I think we can feel a little panicky or they're not talking to their son about the changes. What would you say to, to the mom I that relates to that? I think a lot of dads haven't had great communication you know, by their dad growing up. So they haven't had that modeled. So it's really hard for them to step into something that they've never experienced themselves. Um, and so some dads have a reluctancy and a hesitancy, and I'm not sure it's it's wise or helpful for us to push them beyond their comfort levels with it. But I kind of always say this, you've got a kid's comfort level and a dad's comfort level or a mum's comfort level, you know, a parent's comfort level. And they meet somewhere in the middle on natural ground, and that's the building place. So I think we're maybe a female who feels maybe more comfortable in that space sometimes can sort of say, look, this is what I could see this could become, and this is how I see our daughter needs you. But being really content of where the starting point is and nurturing it from there, I feel like sometimes our expectations just jump this step where we need to take it from a step where everyone's comfortable. And that includes our girls. I feel like our girls give some really strong messages and cues about where they do and don't want their dad and those privacy levels. And it is so important that we respect those boundaries with our girls. And, and you know, if they don't want to directly talk to their dad about their periods, um, I feel like that voice is important to be heard as well. I'm very passionate, Cheryl, about making sure that kids have a lot of say in this process. I feel like we have an agenda a lot with kids and we don't really tune in and listen to what they want and what they need and how they want to journey this thing. And I think we would do so much better just coming side by side and taking our time. There's no rush. You know, some kids are just young and some kids struggle with anxiety, you know, and some kids for all different reasons have different comfort levels. And I feel like the more we push our agenda rather than get side by side with kids, the more it goes wrong. Yeah, that's why I love the book too. In the beginning of the book, you talk about, talk to the kids about like, this is your safe place to come. Like you also say, if you're uncomfortable, um, I had written down exactly how you say it, but it was so warm and inviting and inviting them to talk to a safe person. But also like, if you're uncomfortable right now, there's some resources where they can 
they can go and find answers when they are uncomfortable. And so I do think we need both, or we can use your books as a jumping off guide as well for conversations. It's amazing when parents put my book in, you know, a pack of five books and just say, hey, there's some books for you on the bench. It's normally the puberty book that makes its way up into the bedroom and gets hidden somewhere. And (laughs) (laughs) and even if they take a little bit of time to warm up to talking to us about it, I think that every kid deserves access to quality information that's come from us, that's from a trusted source that we've approved and we deem to be healthy for them. You know, if if we don't step up and do it, unfortunately, Google's just there and we don't want them to turn to that. And I think all kids deserve that. In the beginning of the book, Cheryl, I said, if you're uncomfortable with any part, just skip it and come back to it another day. And that's, I think, the message that is really important, I think, for even parents to say, you know, maybe having a list of things they want to talk about with their kid, um, but ask them to choose a different topic every week. So you're getting a gauge of where they want to start and where their comfort level is, and they have some power and choice in it as well, and they feel safe with the process. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, following their lead as well but making sure to have the conversations. Like don't just abandon it if they're not asked, if they're acting like they don't want to talk about it because they really, they really do want to talk about it. So let's, um, let's uh, shift gears here. And I have a question from a mom that she talks about how her son, she's a single mom. Mm -hmm. And she said, I have a very open relationship with my kids, but my oldest is 11. They're both boys. And he will not even try to converse with me about it, meaning puberty. I'm a single mom. So having him talk to his dad isn't an option. What would you say to her? Yeah. Um, I guess for every parent out there, just know there's an age and a stage where kids get terribly self-conscious. If you can get in a little bit before that, before the roller doors go up, I call it the window of opportunity. They're just mature enough to hear it, yet their body consciousness has not kicked in. But when we don't catch it at that stage, and some kids probably zoom through that stage and it's impossible to catch as well, and there's a lot of self-consciousness around it, there's things that we can do to make sure they get that education and we can drip feed things as well. So we can think of little two minute conversations that we can have on the fly. So it's not so intense. We can put a book in their room. Um, For some girls, more than boys, probably Cheryl, a shared journal can work. So I've seen parents um, write a question, slip it under their pillow, and then they write a question back. So it takes that face-to-face out of it. Um, talking in the car, again, those two-minute conversations, creating that list and getting them to choose. Um, even being able to say to them, look, I know this is uncomfortable and just being honest about the elephant in the room, but saying, but it's actually a really important conversation for us to have. So what can I do to make this more comfortable? Would you be okay if I talk for five minutes today? And then maybe we picked it up again next week. So just trying to do that kind of drip feed approach, but giving them power and choice in it. Um, and, and slowly, slowly, I think the more they hear our voice on these topics, the easier it becomes as well. Yeah, I like that. You mentioned that in the book, like it's really awkward in the beginning, but the more you talk about it, the less awkward it becomes, which I think we need to remember. 
Yeah. That's it's right. Just- and if we set the bar low to start with, like it doesn't have to knock it out of the park, you know? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. even if it's a two-minute conversation and our son grunts back and goes, mm, you know, like how disgusting, it goes in. Yeah. And I think we need to remember it's not just the technical that we're trying to get across. It's the values that underpin that. And it's that application to life that no one can give our kids except us. No teacher in a school, no book. Mm-hmm. It's actually what we bring to it that is so critical critical for our kids. So if we're connected to our why, it will motivate us to keep taking baby steps into that space. But early and often, Cheryl, early, early and often. Yes. What's the, you said there's research uh, that shows us that this is so important that we have these conversations. What are you seeing? So we have the conversation with them when they're younger and then they hit high school. What's the, what difference is that is having these yeah. conversations making? Yeah, choices around safe sex, unsafe sex, choices and, and decisions and understanding consent. It all starts in them understanding, appreciating their body, having the right language for things. Um, and I know we're very conscious of our kids' safety these days. And unfortunately, when I do puberty presentations in schools, it's not uncommon for kids to then say, "Ah, oh, I've got the language now to describe the abuse that's been happening. And it's mm. it's so important. So it, it's more likely to give them um, a voice for good choices um, as they become teenagers, a voice to express, I guess, any form of unhealthy relationships around their life and give them a platform to process that, but also the ability to adapt and love their growing body. For some kids, puberty is a shock, and you know this, Cheryl. Yeah. But that, that, that aggressive hit of hormones can actually make kids feel quite fearful in their own body. They feel like a different person, and that can sort of cause some confidence issues and take them on a spin. And we want to wrap them in in safety and routine and love during those times. And so being comfortable to lean into it and to give them the education they need just can stabilize things. It really is about our bodies, isn't it? And like learning to love and accept our bodies and and own them as our that they belong to us. Yeah. When we become more aware of them and take down those those walls of talking about it. Because I was reading, I'm like, gosh, I really could have used a book like this because there was some shame, I think, involved in talking about parts of the body, like the word vagina. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, don't talk about this. But you normalize it where it's like, we can talk about it in such a normal way and understand the different parts of our private parts and, and like, oh, this is a beautiful part of me. So it takes away a lot of the, I don't know what the word would be, but the discomfort and yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's talking about it in a way that adds value, not in a way that's icky or unhealthy. And I think our kids really need to distinguish the difference between those two things. 
when kids are uncomfortable or feeling awkward in my presentations, I tell them that that's such a good thing because that's their sense of privacy and private parts are not something they talk about with strangers. And it's not something, you know, they're normally in school talking about maths. So having someone they don't know there is it's a good thing they have a sense of like, this is a bit different and I've got to be a bit cautious here. Um, and helping them understand that sense that's in them, that's there to protect them is all part of this, especially for our girls, Cheryl. I mean, th I think too often sex has been talked in, talked to in a way that's very shaming and even with girls with their body, being able to own um, their body and the beauty industry's messages that are constantly bombarding our girls. I mean, we know that about 86% of our girls are uncomfortable or dissatisfied with one part of their body or more by the time they're 11 years old. Oh. So we've got a generation of kids who are comparing themselves to photoshopped images, not even real people. You know, they're, they're comparing themselves to avatars. I don't know in, in your era, but like, you know, we had Elle McPherson in, in Australia who was the ultimate model and we called her the body. You know, she was the body. Oh. Mm -hmm. um, but she was a real person, Cheryl, and our, our girls, 8, 9, 10, 11, are growing up and what are they comparing themselves to? They're not even comparing themselves to reality. And it's it's really sad to see them not be able to really love and cherish who they are. Yeah, technology has certainly added a whole nother layer to everything. I can't imagine having Instagram. Farrah Fawcett, I'm a little older than you. Farrah Fawcett was really big. And I could not, for the life of me, have had that hairstyle at that time. <laughs> I can't imagine trying to post, you know, my hair, I didn't know how to do it, post yeah. on social media, you know, and try to look a certain way. It wouldn't have worked. And our girls and our boys are feeling that. So um, as we close, I, I want you to speak about boundaries, because you talk in the books about boundaries and developing boundaries around um people touching and, you know, um, all of those things, even how to speak, speak back to what people say that's uncomfortable. How can, you know, what would you say to moms? How can we coach our, our girls and our boys around having boundaries? Yeah, this is a, this is an area that I'm very passionate about because I unfortunately come across this so often in schools. And the number one thing that we just touched on before is when children have the correct language and a safe space, it just helps them communicate and express anything that's happening that is unhealthy. And I think we don't realize how powerful giving kids the correct language about their body is. Um, and, and helping create that environment where that language is comfortable for them to be, be using and they realize it is okay to say those words, vagina or penis or whatever it be. Because I think what happens with kids sometimes is even the fear of, of saying those words stops them trying to communicate what's happening. So teaching them the correct names of their body, having open dialogue, but teaching them that they're the boss of their body yeah. and there's rules to protect kids um, because private parts are private. And so it's just those very, very basic things that we can talk to our kids about at such a young age that just brings a level of safety around them and an open door and an open communication if they ever need to bring up something that, you know, is potentially unsafe for them. 
Yeah. Yeah. Creating the language where they can talk about it, that they, that, that boundaries come out of that. Um, that's good. I don't think we often connect those two. Giving no, them we start to, we think we have to talk to them about abuse or, you know, we have to start up here. It actually starts right down here. And it, it starts with the language, but also the trust. And we're modeling what it's, what it's like to talk safely about your body, you know, and that there's, a, you know, wouldn't be, I mean, an example I use is just when I talk to kids that I say to them, um, you know, an unsafe person. Um, that I'm not an unsafe person and their parents have had to sign off on me talking to them. I have teachers in the room. I'm not talking to you in a way that's one-on-one or that you're uncomfortable with. I give them some kind of idea as, as an educator, I'm coming in and the difference between that and someone talking to them in an unhealthy way about sex. And as parents too, we're modeling exactly that same thing. And I think some of the basis of that is respect. You know, when they've had enough or they're feeling overwhelmed, just take that step back. You know, you don't have to fit it all in in an hour session. You've got time. Keep drip feeding it. Keep stepping up to the plate. Keep initiating it. But also show them what respect looks like in a real conversation. And when it comes to their body and around this topic, they should have a whole lot to say about how this happens. That was, I'm so glad you mentioned the respect because that was the word that was coming up for me. And it really helps to then our kids are going to be more apt to listen to their gut when something doesn't feel respectful. Like if we can respect them and teach them to respect their bodies and respect other people's bodies, then it's like that little antenna goes up of no, this doesn't feel good to me. That's right. And it's not just, it's not just keeping them safe from adults either. And I think this is the harsh reality that most of sexual abuse actually happens from peer to peer from children. Yeah. And so even in sleepovers and different places they go that they are in positions where from a very young age, they're needing to be the boss of their body. Um, But yet, Cheryl, in all of this intensity, we have to make growing up fun as well. And we have to we have to bring this in such a way that's not overwhelming for them, but it's 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 light enough that they can apply it to their life and their world. I love that you're ending on that note because as we talk about it, I can only imagine listeners, because I know I was like in a panic, like, oh my gosh, I have to get this done because they, I have to keep them safe. And so we yes. bring this energy and then our kids yes. are like, whoa, don't want to go there with you because then the, it's negative and yeah. it's fear-based. That's We're right. just like, fine, like our bodies are exciting. Let's you know, talk about how they're growing and developing. And in the books, you definitely hit on that, like how your body is amazing. Look what it does. Isn't that incredible? And I was like, yes, you know, so it's so good. And even for our girls to be really um, just positive about that menstrual cycle, feel empowered you know like they they feel empowered with it and they've got choices regarding their hygiene products and I always like to do that with girls because I feel like they should know the options available to them and it's part of the making grown-up decisions and a little bit more of that power and choice as they go through that process can really help them have a bit more of a positive attitude as well 
I, I, I have to <laughs> book. I learned you were talking about pads and what they used to use back in the old days. Like they use like animal fur or something. I was like, really? (laughs) I was like, I knew about the rags, but I'm like, oh my goodness. And you're like, we've come a long way, you know, and now we have thin ones. And uh, yeah, I just, I loved it. I was laughing out loud. It was so good. So tell our listeners where to find your books. And uh, you also have a course that's available. I do. My books are Um, mainly on my website at the moment which is michellemitchell.org and people can look at samples at them and just have a lot of fun reading some of the comments uh, comics there as well but for our I guess international kind of customers we've got an online course called talking about puberty and it is is basically the presentation I do in schools it's everything in the book put into like video format and I've used the comics and they're animated it's super fun Cheryl like it's so fun we spent forever on it but it is a beautiful visual way um, to be able to get this content to kids and it's type of thing you could watch together they could watch on their own and then you could watch it together and it's just another way if kids are not into reading as well that they can digest some really good content yeah that's wonderful that you've made that available and so i'm going to put the link um so that all the links so that moms can find it easily and then also you have you have all that on the website that they can find it and Yeah, thank you so much, Michelle, for being here. And uh, just, yeah, love the work that you do so much. And yeah, love you. So thank you. I hope I was articulate enough for 10 o'clock at night. So. <laughs> <laughs> <You> absolutely were. <laughs> I know. Well, we'll have to do this. I think it'd be great. Um, again, it would be great to come back and talk about boys too. All that's going oh, on. Absolutely. Family. I have two boys, Cheryl. So I have a 23-year-old and a 20-year-old, but it wasn't that long ago. Let me tell you, I can remember. It's, yeah. uh, it's a different journey for boys. Their language is not developed as quickly as girls. And we don't have quite the time pressure with girls. So life gets complicated with girls a little bit quicker. And um, with our boys, they need us to approach it with a lot of fun. I think they do. Yeah. A lot of playfulness. Yeah. So thank you and good night. Sleep well. And uh, thanks so much. You're a gem. Thank you. Love to your audience too. Night. <laughs> Well, that's it for today. And thank you for joining me. And before you go, I have a really exciting announcement. I am kicking off our three-day free online training on Tuesday, October 5th at 7 p.m. Central Time. And I asked for feedback from you and on our Moms of Tweens and Teens Facebook page. And So much of the feedback was, please do something on how to motivate. How do I empower my kid? What do I do? When do I step in? When do I step back? How do I deal with my anxiety when I'm allowing natural consequences to happen? And what battles do I pick? I'm so sick of arguing. And then what are realistic expectations? And how do I discipline my kids? All of these questions I'm going to be covering in this 
three-day free training. And the first day, the topic is common mistakes we make that stunt their growth and sabotage their independence. The next day is how to stop enabling them and empower them instead. And our third day, which is, let's see, the seventh, Thursday the seventh, is how to foster independence, build confidence, inner strength, and perseverance. So it's October 5th, 6th, and 7th at 7 p.m. Central. And after, it goes about 45 minutes, and then I answer questions at the end. So you can get your questions answered in real time. It's very personal. You'll get to be with other moms that are going through similar challenges. And then after that, we open up our inner circle group, which is our membership. It's amazing. And we kick off an eight-week parenting program. So go to the website, sign up for our newsletters, and you will get all of the details. Or you can email me at Cheryl at momsoftweensandteens.com. Have a great week, and I will see you back here next time.